0: Today, this morning, we are going to be in Proverbs chapter 21 and we are going to be looking at wisdom's winning ways. Uh, All of Proverbs is about wisdom and it shows us how to live and it oftentimes tells us how not to live. But this this chapter, this passage that we're looking at today, verses 22 through 31, if, if I were to draw a theme out of them, because really we're in that section where it's just random proverbs it feels like at times. Like last week it was hard to put them together. They were just good sayings, and it was a good saying after a good saying after a good saying. But if I were to try to tie what we're going to look at this morning, it's that this is wisdom's winning ways. How to how to win in life by obeying and following the ways of wisdom. And I, I don't really get into the whole, hey, this is how you win at life thing, or I I don't get into the whole, these are the three steps you need to have to have a successful fill in the blank. That's not what the gospel's about, that's not what scripture is about. Sometimes the way to to achieve success in life uh, is to not be successful in life, you know. Sometimes the way to achieve what God is calling you to is what everybody else around you would say is not success. And so when we talk about wisdom's winning ways, we're not talking about how to to get ahead as far as the world considers it, but how to live a life that, from God's perspective, is a winning life. And and I think in times what it is is very similar to what I was just sharing about with my uncle and my aunt. It's It's the long haul plowing through and and finding yourself at the end having made it and and we'll touch on that as we go through these a little bit we're gonna we're gonna open it up in verse 22 verse 22 really kind of is continuing thoughts from a few verses ahead of it talking about uh, a wise person has all sorts of storehouses or you know supplies and and stores and treasure in their home uh, but a, a foolish person a A foolish man swallows it up, he eats everything in his heart. So so we already started this idea of wisdom, but it's going to be our jumping off point this morning. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. The imagery that we're seeing here isn't usually what we would consider for wisdom. The the ones that scale the city of the mighty would be an army. The ones that bring down a stronghold would be a massive army. The the picture is is of an army that comes and attacks a city and can scale the walls and, and, and attack it and get into it and bring down the stronghold and destroy the city of their enemies. And we don't usually think about wisdom in that way. So what's... Been saying in this poetic language, especially considering the, what has gone already earlier with it, it's the idea that a wise man isn't necessarily stronger, can overwhelm his opponents, but that a wise person, in their in their way that they live, scales the city of the mighty. They can understand, they can know, they can achieve and overcome those things that are put up in their place. And they can bring down the stronghold in which those that are mighty, they trust. We had passages earlier talking about how the uh, wealth is the stronghold. You know, the, Their money is the stronghold of the wealthy. And this is kind of the same idea. That What do the mighty trust in? They trust in themselves. They trust in their own abilities. They trust in their might. But a wise man, overcomes that. A wise man has victory over those things. And that, that's really the, the idea of that verse. That, that wisdom leads to a victorious life. That, that it's not about being strong. It's not about being fast. It's not about being clever, necessarily. Clever and wisdom aren't necessarily the same thing. But it's a wise person and living by wisdom will lead to a victorious life. The the victory image is the scaling the city and bringing down the stronghold. But that wisdom leads to that. Wisdom is is what enables us to have in God's mind and His eyes a victorious life. And and so what we're going to look at as we continue through these verses is what what are the elements of that victorious life that wisdom might grant us and we're going to see the first part in verses 23 and 24 he says he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles to to guard is is to keep to protect to manage and so the person who guards his mouth and isn't this an interesting thought that you guard your mouth and your tongue you guard your soul from troubles. In other words, the person who is able to keep their tongue, who is able to watch out for the words that they say, can keep their soul from trouble, from difficulties along the way. The the word that's translated troubles is the idea of straights or narrows. You know, you, you get into a difficult place that's pinching you. Well, if you can protect and guide and guard what you say. You might keep yourself out of some problems, is, is what Solomon is saying. The, the, the contrast to that, though, is in verse 26. Proud, haughty, scoffer are his names who acts with insolent pride. Now this is a, a matter of translation, uh, of deciding how to translate this, because a lot of translations might say proud and haughty is a person who is called a scoffer. One who acts with insolent pride. You know, that, that they're, they're marked by acting with insolent pride. So the NAS translates all three as names. Some translations say no. The name is scoffer. Proud and haughty are the activities of a scoffer. And I think that's a good understanding of it. The, the focus is how does one behave? And if you remember, scoffer, that word, the Hebrew word means to make with your mouth. And so what is a scoffer? Somebody who talks. That they, they don't listen, they make fun of, they laugh, they, they, they deride, they make with their mouth. And, and how do they do it? What's the heart attitude of a person who is a scoffer? Uh, the heart attitude of a person who is a scoffer is going to be proud. It's going to be haughty. When you have something and you're trying to teach a person how to do it and they don't want to listen to you, why does, don't they want to listen to you? Because in their mind, they don't need to. In their mind, they already know how to do it. In their mind, they're better than listening. You know, sometimes, if you get somebody who is not proud, not haughty, not arrogant, somebody who is humble and knows their ability, and somebody else comes along to show them something they already know to do, they don't scoff about it. They'll appreciate, thank you for trying to help me. They may not need the help. But they can accept that you're what you're doing, but a scoffer, even a and a scoffer, the idea is not that they know what to do, but they are so proud, they are so arrogant in their behavior that they don't recognize their need to listen and, and that that's the idea. they act with insolent pride and, and and insolent comes from a word that that has the idea of um, overflowing it, it's 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 arrogant. And, and, and so you compare just this idea of insolent of overflowing pride. It, it can't be contained. And so they scoff at things. They laugh at things. Even things they don't understand. You know, and, and oftentimes what's funny about that is a lot of times what do people do if they don't know an answer to something? What do people do? They don't even think about it. A lot of times what will a person do? What do you do? Have you ever caught yourself? Somebody asks you a question. You're not ready to answer it. What do we do? Maybe we'll laugh. Maybe uh, some noise will just come out. We're not ready to answer. We haven't thought about it. And so we'll say anything or something instead of just saying, I don't know about that. Let me think. We can laugh it off. We can laugh it off. We can, uh, it, it just comes overflowing. And the contrast is, is the scoffer is the person who is acting with overflowing pride. They're not controlled. they're not contained. But in contrast to that, a person who is contained, one who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles the imagery is is that if we can control what we say we can protect ourselves from trouble but those who scoff don't have that kind of control they don't control what they say they don't stop it they just have pride and haughtiness and 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 so as how do we have a a victorious life from wisdom first thing is is that wisdom will give you self-control wisdom and if we apply it, if we studied it, if we, you know, that's one of the benefits of going through the whole book of Proverbs and studying God's Word beyond Proverbs as well, is that we, we learn how to behave, but oftentimes we also learn how not to behave. There is great benefit to learning how to not behave, and to keep yourself from behaving in those ways. And self-control happens to be one of the fruits of the Spirit, which is an interesting when you think about it, that That we can try to teach people self-control, but ultimately, ultimately, ultimate self-control is something we have to get from God through His Holy Spirit to guide us and keep us from from, uh, acting out and scoffing and with a haughty heart and attitude. But wisdom applied to our lives over time. And and this is those things that it it doesn't happen immediately. Nobody gets self-control immediately. Self-control is something that takes time. To develop, to to grow in. But if we if we watch what we say, if we guard our mouth and our tongues, it can protect us. And, and, and notice that the, the contrast is really, it protects you from the arrogance. It protects you from the pride. We all have in our hearts the the, the arrogance and the pride. The difference is, is that the scoffer, it just overflows. It, it's insolent. They just let it go. But the wise person, it's not that the wise person doesn't have the ability for arrogance. It's not that the wise person doesn't have the ability to scoff. It's that they control themselves and keep themselves from doing it. They guard their mouth. The the very fact that we say, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul. The guarding of the mouth proves that the wise person has to watch what they say. That what makes a person wise isn't that they always say the right thing, but they're smart enough and wise enough and quick enough to keep from saying the wrong things. To think about what they say. To to consider, if I say this, what's going to happen? And this is one of those verses that just burns me up as a pastor because my job is talking. Gotta watch what I say. And I don't like that, you know, because sometimes I like to flap off at the gums. But no, wisdom says watch what you say. Wisdom will give you self-control if you guide and guard and protect your words. Self-control leads into what we see next in verse 25. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death. The sluggard is somebody who's unwilling to work. They're lazy. But just because you're lazy doesn't mean you don't have desires. You know, it's, it's okay to, if, if you don't have great desires and you therefore don't care to work very much. You know, you can get by. It's like that old story about the fisherman who goes out and catches a few fish and comes home and uh, sells the fish and, and relaxes the rest of the day. And the, the New Yorker comes in. You know, he's on vacation. He says, well, why don't you fish all day? And then you could catch more fish, Then you could sell more fish and make more profit. And the guy says, well, what would I do with that? He says, well, then you could uh, hire people and you could maybe buy another boat and, and, and you could fish even more and you could get more fish and you can make more profit. And the fisherman said, well, what would I do with that? And the guy said, well, then you could have an entire business. You could build yourself an empire, a fishing empire. And the guy says, well, what would I do with that? He says, well, that's the best part. You could sell the business and make a massive profit. Then you could retire down into a fishing village and you could just fish in the morning and sleep all afternoon. And the fisherman's kind of like, that's what I've already got. You know? If you don't have great desires, if you realize this is all I need, that's one thing. But what this is talking about is that the sluggard has great desire. It, a, a previous verse in this chapter talks about that, uh, the person who loves oil, wine and oil is going to be poor. A, a person who has overwhelming desire for the good things in life is going to be poor. And in this case, the, the desire of the sluggard, the things that they want, they're going to put them to death. Because he's unwilling to work. The issue is not necessarily the desires so much as it's the fact that he's a sluggard. He still has those desires. He has desires that are not in keeping with his willingness to work. And what puts him to death is the fact that he's unwilling to work. The desires of the sluggard put him to death for his hands refuse to work. And then verse 26, all day long he is craving... Oh, he desires, he craves. But he's not willing to do the work. And it will kill him. But in contrast, the righteous gives and does not hold back. We're not even talking about the righteous works hard. No. But the the contrast in the language is such that the sluggard is unwilling to work. His desires are driving him to, he's craving things. His desires are killing him because he's unwilling and unable to work. He's he's unwilling able to put himself into it the contrast though is that a righteous person is somebody who is diligent in their work a righteous person isn't afraid to start working they are willing their hands are willing to work and because of that they give they are able to be uh, generous they give and don't hold back it's not they're not so focused on their desires that are driving them They're diligent. They work at it. They keep going. And they are able to give and not hold back. And then in verse 27, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? And and so why does this go with the other two verses? And and I'll admit, this verse kind of stands alone. It could go with the verses right after it. But the, the, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. There is... How much more when he brings it with evil intent? So, so the idea here is similar to uh, when David said to God, you don't desire sacrifices. What you really desire is a contrite heart. You desire me to humble myself. You desire my heart to be yours, not the sacrifices I might offer. But so many people, what do they focus on? They focus on the sacrifices. What can I do to curry God's and, and especially that's the evil intent. I'm going to sacrifice so that I might get something. I'm going to sacrifice or I'm going to bring an offering so that people might look at me a certain way, so that I might get something for it. This was the true problem with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. It wasn't that they didn't give everything. Uh, Peter was very clear to them. Hey, uh, the, the, the field was yours. The money was yours. Why did you lie? To the Holy Spirit. The issue wasn't holding back some. Peter says, look, you you sold it for a certain amount. You didn't have to give all that amount. It was yours to give and to do with as you pleased. The problem was that they claimed they were giving it all to God. They claimed they were giving it all to the body of Christ assembled there in Jerusalem. They claimed this was a sacrifice and, and all they had. But they held back some. The holding back wasn't the problem. The claim was the problem. They were giving it with an evil intent that people would look at them as something more. Instead of just, hey, we we were able to sell some property. Here's 10% of what we got. Here's 50% of what we got. That would have been within the realm of their ability to choose to do. But they lied about it. And, and that's the focus. God doesn't care about the sacrifice so much. It's, it's the heart that he's worried about. That's what he's focused on. And the sacrifice of the wicked. When wicked people come and give God a sacrifice, it's an abomination to Him. It makes Him sick. He doesn't want sacrifices from the wicked. He doesn't want offerings from the wicked. He doesn't need them. What he wants is their heart, but they're wicked. And so you have, con- you have sandwiched in the middle the righteous person who gives and does not hold back. They are able to be generous. And on the outside, what do we see? We see a sluggard who is unwilling to work, and we see a wicked person. When they come and bring offerings to God, it makes him sick because he doesn't like their heart and he doesn't like their evil intention. It's even worse when they're doing it for some evil purpose. But in the middle... You got a righteous person who works diligently, and not only do they work diligently, but they are able to give and to not hold back. They they just they're not worried about where where the money for tomorrow is coming from. They're able to give, they're able to bless, they're able to uh, to, to to give their sacrifices to God, even in in the context of verse twenty seven. Wisdom will enable you to be generous in your life. Wisdom because a, a wise person is going to think about, how do I work? Wisdom will, will enable us to not be the sluggard who says, oh, I, don't, I, I want these good things, but I don't, I don't want to work for it. Wisdom says, oh, "I, I better work for it. But also what happens is you're not working for those things, and because your focus isn't on those things... You're able to be generous. You're able to give and to not hold back. Wisdom enables and gives us that ability to do that as we choose how to live, as we are following God's ways. You, you could take uh, that verse 27, like I said, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? It has the idea of being a lie, of being... Uh, um, I'm, I'm missing the word I want to use right there. <laughs> it's... It's not true. I'm just the word's gone. we'll move on. Because we move or it's a, it's a falsehood, you might say, because in verse 28 we move into the idea of a false witness. A false witness will perish. but the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. Now this is a, this is a difficult passage. This is a difficult verse and it doesn't make sense really. It's a false witness will perish, but the man who listens, forever speaks, uh, to the truth, isn't in the the text that's been added. It probably has been added because it's a contrast with a false witness. But it, it really doesn't make sense. Some translators translate it as a false witness will perish, and the person who listens to him will be destroyed forever. You know? We're not quite sure, you know, if they listen to him speaking, they'll be destroyed forever. It's it's a difficult one to understand. What I I would want to focus on on this passage is a false witness is being contrasted to a person who listens. And that word to listen means to hear, to to attend to. It's the word used for hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, you know, to Shema. So the person who listens, the person who attends... Is contrasted to a false witness, a witness who does not speak the truth, or or who is operating from impure motives. They will perish. They will die. They will be destroyed. But in contrast to that, uh, the man who listens will endure. The word "forever" there means to to continue, to endure. So the contrast is the false witness who perishes, and the person who listens, who will not perish, but who will endure. And not only that, they will they will speak; their words will last. The false witness won't last. The false witness will will fall away, fall by the wayside but the person who, who pays attention, the person who hearkens and, and who will speak truth, they're going to last. We see this continued, this idea continued in verse 29. A wicked man displays a bold face. It, it's the idea they can bluff their way through. A wicked man displays a bold face. They're going to they're be bold and they're going to be arrogant so that you don't question them, so that you don't push back against them. But as for the upright, he makes his way sure. And again, this is one of those that could be, some of your translations might say, he, he, is, he is able to tell the way of the, You know, he's able to make sure that he doesn't uh, get suckered in, basically, the ways of the wicked man. But when you put these two verses together, the focus is definitely on the false witness who is a wicked man. He might display a bold face, but he is going to perish. Those who, who operate through falsehoods and wickedness are not going to last. It may seem like here on the earth they're last, and it may seem like they're getting ahead, but it does not happen. One, uh, you know, you, you, We have the passages in Scripture that talk about one's case sounds good until another one comes along. We have the statement that the, the, a lie gets around the earth twice before the truth gets its pants on, right? The idea that, that the wicked statements and the lies, they move fast. They seem so victorious, so early on. But the false witnesses are going to perish. The wicked man, though they, they operate with a bold face, it's not going to win. Instead... The upright man, his way is going to be sure. The one who, is, who is, lives his life by God's standards, he is going to make his way sure. He listens, to, uh, he listens and will speak forever. A lot of times we go through difficulty and struggles and we might even have people who stand up and say false things about us. We may have many struggles and it feels like we won't survive. And we have to decide how are we going to live? What are we going to rely on? What is going to be our where what are we going to place our trust in? Are we going to place our trust in how how cunning we can be? Are we going to place our trust in, in any tricks we can pull? Are we going to place our trust in God's ways and what He has proclaimed is, is how we should live in wisdom, in other words. And if we live our lives by wisdom, if if we seek to scale the, the city of the mighty their stronghold that they hold into. If we watch our mouths and think about what we say, if we're diligent in our work, that we can be generous, if if we live by wisdom, wisdom will help you to endure. Wisdom will help you get through those difficult times, those hardships, those attacks. Wisdom will help you endure. And if we live by God's Word, if we live by His word, proclamations to us if we live by his revelation he will help you to endure you don't necessarily have to have the victory today you may take some hits today but over time over time wisdom is shown to be right over time the true way to do things you know the the lie might get out there fast and people might accept it and they might believe it but over time the truth can't help but come out we're seeing these things today we had a lot of a lot of fast moving proclamations in 2020 2021 a lot of fast moving decisions being made but now over time truth is getting out a lot of people said oh we think we know where covid came from it looks like it came from a lab people said no that's a lie that's, uh, that's a conspiracy well Pretty much everybody accepts, yeah, yeah, looks like it came out of lab, looks like maybe the U.S. government uh, financed that, yeah. The truth comes out. Wisdom will help you endure. Wisdom helps you keep your head down when you're having to work at it, to be consistent. Wisdom will help you come out. I I think that's why we were able to celebrate my uncle and aunt's anniversary yesterday for 50 years. Wisdom kept them at it. Wisdom kept them going. Kept them endu- helped them to endure the difficulties. I am sure they were not perfect people. I haven't seen them ever fight, but I'm sure they had have something. They've been married together for 50 years. They've had to have something. But wisdom helps them to endure. Wisdom helps us to endure. Finally, in verses 30-31, through 31, there is no wisdom and no understanding, and no counsel against the Lord. There is no wisdom in the world, there is no understanding anybody can possibly have, and there is no counsel you can give somebody that would go against the Lord. Any idea we have that goes against God, any wisdom we have that does not line up against, with His wisdom, any understanding we have that is outside of His understanding, it will not last and it will not work. The the victorious life that we can have through wisdom, wisdom's winning ways, it, it feels a little weird because we're ending it on this, but the foundation of it must be in God. In fact, the next verse tells us the horse is prepared for the day of battle. The horse was a great thing to have. Horses changed uh, fighting. I mean, if you think about, you have people who were on foot now having to fight against people who were on horseback. A horse gives you advantage of of height. It gives you an advantage of speed. A horse was a major military advancement, and then you know, adding a chariot to the back of a horse even better. And so that's why the, the people of God, oftentimes, they would trust in horses. They would trust in chariots. And Proverbs twenty one thirty one says, yes, the horse is prepared for the day of battle. Yes, the horse can give you great advantage in battle. But victory belongs to the Lord. Victory belongs to Yahweh. You can prepare all you want. You can work hard all you want. You can do all this stuff, but without the Lord, victory is not sure. Victory belongs to the Lord. Wisdom's winning ways, wisdom leads to a victorious life. How do you get that? Not outside of God. How do you you find to be, uh, you know, like I said earlier, that that wisdom will give you self-control. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. How do we get self-control? We can work on it a little bit, but to get true self-control, true control of your being, that you can control your thoughts, your emotions, your appetites, comes through the Holy Spirit, not us. Without God, without the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us in Romans, that we are slaves to our sin. We are slaves to our flesh. We are slaves to our appetites. The the sluggard sits around craving and desiring things, but he's unwilling to work for it. But through God's wisdom, through believing in Him, through knowing Him, through Jesus Christ, we're able to work diligently at our lives. We're not driven by our desires. They're not going to destroy us and kill us. Wisdom will help you to endure through life if you go to the right source for your wisdom. And and what 20, or excuse me, 30 and 31 tell us there is no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel against the Lord. Victory belongs to the Lord. In other words, you will not find wisdom apart from God. Whatever our world puts forward as wisdom, if it is detached from the Word of God and from the person of God, it's not wise. The only wisdom we can have has to be through God and attached to God. You, you can't even have wisdom. I mean, you, you, take, the, the, you take Scripture and you take the words that are here, but you separate them, you cut them off from the living God, it's not going to be wise anymore. It's not going to be true wisdom. It'll be, it'll be corrupted. You will not find wisdom apart from God. The, 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 the way to win at life, to, to, to walk humbly with your Lord, to be diligent in life, working and guarding yourself from from the pride that could so easily slip out of your mouth is wrapped up and tied to knowing and following God. And the only way we do that in this day and age is through Jesus Christ by believing in Him. He who came to the earth, died on the cross, and rose again for our lives and for our sin. There is no wisdom outside of Him. We will not find it outside of Him. And the only way to to apply these things to our lives, to have that victory that wisdom can grant us, is to to believe in Jesus Christ and to follow Him. That That is wisdom's winning way. And there is no wisdom outside of Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We thank You that You've come to make us wise. That You've come to give us life, to give us salvation through Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would not consider ourselves wise in anything outside of You. That we would look to You and Your Word and to what You have proclaimed to us. Lord, we pray that that You would guide us and enable us to live in such a way that we are able to control our, ourselves, that we are able to work diligently, that we might be generous in how we live. Lord, that we would trust in You, that we would endure through hard times and through difficult times. Because that's what we see. False people, they fall away. Violent people, they fall away. Wicked people, they fall away. But those who follow you, those who seek you, they endure. Lord, we pray that we would endure through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we would live and that we would live wisely for you. We ask and pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.